0: Well, good morning, Northland. It is good to be with you. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Genesis. That's the very first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1. We'll be in chapter 1 and 2. As you are turning there, let me ask you a question. Are you a generous person? You don't have to answer out loud. You don't have to nudge the person next to you, but just go ahead and jot that question down because we're going to continue to come back to that question throughout this series. Are you a generous person? I'm not asking, do you do generous things? I'm asking, are you, am I a generous person? So, As Teresa said, we are starting our brand new series, The Backstory of Generosity. Uh, Let me just say some things up front that maybe some of you might find frustrating. The first thing is, is I will not fully define generosity from a biblical point of view until the very end of the series. You're like, I'm frustrated already. I hear you, but you got to keep coming back. We're going to build out the framework of what generosity is before I actually define it. Another thing that might frustrate you you might hear this message and you might start asking all of these practical questions. Well, What does this look like? What does that look like? You got to wait to the very end because it is hard for me sometimes to preach a series and know where I'm going and not leak some things right now. So I'm going to try to leak things here and there. But, but again, we're building an entire framework of what generosity is. So I might not answer all of your questions today. May not answer all of your questions next week, but hopefully and prayerfully, by the end of the series, I will have answered your questions, all right? All right. So even though I'm not going to define it, at least biblically, let me at least offer up the Merriam-Webster Dictionary's definition of generosity. Here's what Merriam-Webster says. Liberal in giving, open-handed. Generosity is marked by abundance or ample proportions, which is why we're giving away full-size candy bars. That's ample proportions. That fun-size stuff, that's just a frustrating size. Can I get an amen? Yeah, come on, come on, guys. You know, we, we do a parent tax where, where we come from, so when the kids, they bring in their candy, I immediately tax them. And it's more than a tithe. It's more than 10%. And then I'll go to the pantry when I want something sweet. And I'll, I'll grab a fun size. And I'm like, that just ain't just going to go and cut it. And then I grab another. I, I grab a handful of fun size because fun size are a frustrating size. So ample proportions. I think I digress. But anyways... Yeah, it can also mean characterized by a noble or kindly spirit. And, and, and I give you this definition because by the end of our series, I hope you will see that the definition that Miriam Webster gives us actually falls short of a biblical definition of generosity. In addition, I came across this definition and description of generosity in an article found in Psychology Today entitled, What is Generosity and How Can You Be a More Generous Person? Here's what this author says. Generosity is the act of being kind, selfless, and giving to others. Despite being an act that is done to benefit others' well-being, generosity also paradoxically increases our well-being. Generosity is a good thing for our mental health and well-being because when we give to someone we care about, we make it more likely for them to give to us, making us more likely to give to them, and so on. As a result, regions of our brain associated with pleasure, social connection, and trust light up, making us feel all warm and gooey inside. I think there are some misconceptions and misunderstandings about generosity, and I think this would be just a a good way of, of showing what some of those misconceptions, maybe misunderstandings are. First, generosity, a misconception, is generosity is an action. It's way more than an action. What we'll actually be talking about today, it actually comes from love. So it's not just an action, but it is rooted in a deep love that does produce action. Generosity also involves money. That's a misconception. Uh, Generosity does, in some regard involve money but it far it far exceeds financial giving another misconception is generosity is giving a large amount away well if you look at the story that jesus talks about the widow's might, she gave she gave like a fraction of a penny but yet jesus says what she gave far exceeded what anybody else gave that day so you don't have to give a large amount away to be generous Another misconception is generosity means being kind. Well, it's just way more than being kind. Another misconception is generosity is something only rich people can achieve. You don't have to be rich to be generous. And then the last misconception is that generosity is done for our well-being. Of course, there are benefits to being generous, and there is a lot of research behind that. But we are not generous for what we get in return. Because if that's the case, then our generosity is motivated by selfishness, which then could not be generous. So my goal in this series is, since we talked about Back to the Future last week, so my here's what my goal is. My goal is to get into a DeLorean and go back to the very beginning of creation where we see the generous nature of God on display. Because God, by his very nature, is generous. And so therefore, if we are a follower of God, if we're a follower of Jesus, and Jesus has imputed his spirit within us by our very nature, we should be what? Generous. And so I wanna unpack the generous nature of God revealed in the creation account. And here's the million dollar question we will be answering throughout this series. What does it mean for generosity to be part of our very nature. What does it mean? What does it look like for generosity to be part of our very nature? And so once again, this is not, this is not a financial series. Will it include financial statements? Yes, that I I will make, but, but generosity is not just Finances, and then also throughout the series, I want you to keep an individual perspective and a corporate perspective in tandem, in tension, because Northland, we want to be a generous church, but we cannot be a generous church if we are not comprised up of generous people. So we want you to be generous if you are a follower of Christ because Christ by his very nature is generous. And so by being comprised of generous people, we will then be a generous church. So they are not mutually exclusive. And so with all of that said, here is the main point. I'm going to say it in two ways. Generosity is founded upon love. Generosity, another way of saying it, flows towards the people and things you love. You'll never be, I'll never be generous towards people and things I do not love. I might give a generous gift, I might donate my time here or there, but that does not mean that I'm generous by my very nature. If I'm going to be generous by my very nature, then towards towards what I'm generous to, I will love. And I want you to think about this, love is not an emotion, it's not a feeling, but it is a present, ongoing action you demonstrate. So because you love, you are generous. And because love is an ongoing, present action, that which you love and the things that you love, you will constantly embody and enact generosity. Now, here's the starting point each week. Now, I'm going to throw you way off on this one. But the starting point each week will be John 3.16. Now, you say, why are you starting with John 3.16? Because I actually think that that verse embodies the totality of God's generosity. But we actually see God's generosity embedded in the creation account, which is why we're getting into a DeLorean, or for those of you who love Mr. Sherman and Peabody, we're going to get into the way back and we're going to go way back to the creation account. But John 3:16 gives us at least a present statement in the New Testament to, to help us frame out what generosity is, and then we're going to explain it by going to Genesis 1, 2, and 3. So with all All of that said, will you stand with me as we recite together John 3, 16. And here it is. On the count of three, we're going to read it together. One, two, three. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you are glorified. Jesus, will you be the center of this message? And Spirit, will you go to work shaping and forming your people more into the image of our King? King Jesus. May we be more generous. May we embody his generosity in all of life. May we leave different than when we came here this morning as a result of your work among us. I pray for those who are far from you that are here, that are engaging us online. I pray today that they will hear about your generosity, maybe for the first time. And through your love and your generosity, you might draw them to to yourself and that they might be transformed and changed as a result, and it's in your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So, because love is a core action, and generosity is born out of love. Where do we see God's love in the very beginning? Well, that's a great question. We see his love demonstrated in at least three ways. Number one, God's love is seen in him sharing. God's love is seen in him sharing. Aside from the triune God sharing in, bringing creation into existence, we actually see how the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, shares with human beings. In verse 26, chapter 1, we read, Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. So when you read the creation account and you see that God begins to bring about all of these creatures, creatures that fly, creatures that swim in the waters, and then creatures that crawl and run on the earth... No creature was created in God's image and his likeness. The creature that is created in his image and likeness is mankind, is humanity. And so God shares with humanity who he is. So if you were part of our Made for Mission series, you understand that this idea of image and likeness is that we are God's mirrors meant to reflect his glory. And so deposited within our DNA is the attribute or the attributes and the character and the nature of God. God has injected his divine DNA in ways so that we might reflect who he is. So he's sharing with humanity who he is. but then look at the latter part of verse 26 so that so when you're reading your bible devotionally and you come across these two words so that everybody say so that you can always inject the word why so so god created mankind in his image and in his likeness why why So that they might rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock, over the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So what we have here is that God not only shares with humanity who he is, but he shares with them his authority. So he creates them in his image so that they might rule, so that they might govern, so that they might oversee. I want you to think about this. God shares his power and his authority with human beings. I mean, he really has to love in order to share part of his power and his authority. And then we see the third way that God loves by sharing is that he shares with them his creation project. So verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. And then he tells them to rule again. Now, once again, I I don't wanna unpack this uh, in in another message because I did that in our Made For Mission series, but I, I just wanna reiterate the fact that God is inviting human beings to join him in his mission. And his mission at the very beginning was to create a people for himself to reflect his glory in all spheres of life. But, But embedded in that mission, we see that they are to relate, create, and operate. So just take that create, for instance. So he has given them the raw materials to make something of creation. I mean, that, that, is, that is mind-boggling, and I'll never get over that, is that God gives us raw materials so that we can image him in our creation, but we get to share in the enhancement of his creation. I mean, think about it. Everything that I've made from God's perspective is what he's saying. Everything that I've made, I'm sharing with you so that you can enhance it. So this is God's love being shared with humanity. Now here's the principle. Who you love, you will share with. Who you love, you will share with. Now I'm going to put up an image on the screens and how many of us have experienced a scene like this. And so here's the scene, or he is behind me, and what, what we have seen, if you've had any kids or maybe growing up, you had a hard time sharing. And so that, that kid back there, he's like, no, nah, I want this. And the other kid's like, no, nah, I want this. And neither one of them wants to share. I, I remember uh, early on when our kids were growing up, uh, we used to have this statement, share, share, that's fair. Anybody else have a, like, a little catchy statement like that? And so it began to dawn on us that there's a mistake in there, and there's a mistake that many parents make when teaching their kids to share. You want to know what that mistake is? Okay, here's the mistake. Many make the mistake of teaching the act of sharing, not the underlying value of why we share. You see, God's sharing is done out of love, not moral obligation. So, if we're saying share, share, that's fair. What we're teaching is that out of moral obligation, you are to share. Rather than when it comes to the reason why God shares, is that He loves. And because He loves, He shares. So that's what we, you know, we, we try to teach our kids. Hey, listen, the reason why you share your Nintendo, your Nintendo Wii, the reason why you share your, your, your VR headset, the reason why you share your Xbox and your PlayStation 5, and the reason why you share your money is not be out of moral obligation because somebody's forcing you to, is because God has invited you into his life to share what he has and who he is. And so you want to do that with others. So generosity does not flow from obligation, from pity, from force. Generosity flows from a deep-seated love where, where you want, you want people to be able to share in who you are and what you do. I, I, I love this statement that i came across in this book called god so loved he gave and here's what the author says god freely creates out of his delight to share his own goodness with others let me ask you this do do you delight i mean here's the thing we're talking about love and love is the foundation of generosity let me ask you this do you delight in sharing your goodness with others God is full and he makes full. Thus, as he creates, he invites us to enjoy the feast and to extend his gracious hospitality and care to others. Northland, we want to be a church that invites people into who we are in God, who we have become and who we are becoming. Uh, We want to extend this invitation so that they might share in God's mission a mission where he is wanting to redeem a people from all peoples to reflect his glory in all spheres of life. So, so North and when, when we ask you to, to give financially tithes and offerings, when we ask you to become a towel holder and serving in some capacity, sharing your time with us, you know why we're asking you to do that so that we can enlarge our capacity to love others. That's why. So I want you to think about churches that are comprised of stingy people, they have a they have a limit. They have a limit to their capacity to who they can love because of stinginess. But what would what, 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 what it be like if we had this generous church that people are, man, I, I just want to share. I just want to share what God has given me, my time, my talents, my treasures. Then what happens is that that church enlarges her capacity to love and invite people into the share of who God is and what he's doing. And again, this reason, one of the reasons, and, and I'll just be honest, like, uh, you know, some people always say, why don't you talk about giving every single Sunday and this and that be- or weekend? And I'm like, here's the thing. I want us to be generous by our very nature, not out of obligation, because I constantly preach for you to do it. Number two, if I all right? I'll pause, get a sip of some holy water. <laughs> it's not holy water, it's just water. <laughs> all right, number two, uh, God's love is seen in him providing. God's love is seen in him Providing So not not only is his love seen in him sharing, but God's love is seen in him providing. Chapter two, verses six through 10. We see, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Verse eight. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A a river, verse 10, a river watering the garden flowed from Eden. The first thing that we see in God's provision is that God provides the basic necessities for life. He, He provides the basic necessities of life. So we, we have that he is he has formed man from the dust of the ground man is there laying on the ground lifeless he has no life in him but God he hovers over him and breathes life into the man and the man becomes a living being man we need human beings we need breath the most basic element for us to live God provides that basic necessity and then he also provides vegetation garden, Trees for food now now notice that the food is not just pleasing to the taste it 's actually pleasing to the eyes. And so God is providing this basic necessity called food, and not only for our taste buds, but even for our eyes. And then he provides water to to, to water the garden. And then uh, we we also see that he provides clothes. Where do you see that? Well, at the very end of chapter 2, we see Adam and his wife were both butt naked, and they felt no shame. Oh. What, why is that? Because God clothed them with his perfect righteousness. See, mentally and emotionally, we we don't need shame and guilt. Like it distorts uh, us having a full and meaningful life if if we are entrenched in shame and guilt. But here with Adam and Eve, God has clothed them fully in his love and in his righteousness. And that's the reason why they could be naked without shame or guilt. So he provides the basic necessities. But then also we see that God provides for unaware needs. I love this in, cha- in chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. We see that the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. You see, we live in a culture, and I would even say I've heard church people make this statement. Well, he completes me. Oh, she completes me. Oh, I'm just so smitten. Here's the thing. When, 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 you, when you read chapter 2, Adam, he doesn't come to God and go, uh, excuse me, uh, Lord, thanks for so much for giving me the breath of life and thank you for putting me in this beautiful garden, but I ain't got no helpmate. He doesn't do that. Why? Because he is perfectly content in the Lord. You don't need another person to complete you. God completes you. But there's this unaware need in order for Adam to do what God has called him to do and multiply, fill, subdue and rule over the earth. He needed a suitable helper. And so I, I love what God does. God, he performs the first surgery. So he gives Adam some anesthesia and then he opens up his uh, rib cage and he takes a rib out and he fashions woman. And then when, when Adam wakes up, he gives him a really nice little meal. That's not part of the Bible, but he wakes Adam up and makes sure that Adam, he's functioning clearly and he can think clearly. And so then he brings Eve to Adam and Adam, he breaks out into this song he breaks out into the celebration and bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh she shall be called oh man like I mean he's eliciting praise and celebration because God provided an unaware need he had and then we see that God loves by providing accountable boundaries accountable boundaries verse 15 through 17 The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. So this is my expectation. Here's what the Lord is saying to Adam. Here are my expectations for you in the garden. I want you to work it. I want you to keep it. And then verse 16, and the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So here's what I want you to do. Here's what you are free to eat. Here's what you are not free to eat. And here are the consequences that if you eat from what I told you not to eat, then you will suffer these consequences. So God provides accountable boundaries. I want you to listen to this church. Part Part of the generous nature of God that is founded upon love was to take the time to explain boundaries, expectations, and how to live a full and fulfilling life. Here's the principle. Holistic provisions flow from a love for the whole person. Holistic provisions flow from a love for the whole person. God loved the entire person. Person, he loved Adam and Eve in their entirety, which is why he's not only providing basic necessities, unaware needs, but also boundaries. Hey, hey, how many parents do we have out there? Any parents out there today? All right, we we got some parents. Let me ask you this: If you love your kid, do you give them boundaries? Yeah, so here it is. Like if you really want to be generous, if you want to have this generosity born out of love, you're going to give the people that you love boundaries and expectations for how they can live a fulfilling and filled life. There's this holistic focus. He provides physically, emotionally, mentally. He provides relationally, socially, culturally, spiritually, morally, you see when the hurricane came through there were just just so so there was so much devastation uh, not just from the hurricane but even the flooding in this area and I want to play a video from you know from this past week that we put on social media and I want you to kind of listen to the holistic care and generosity that this family has experienced roll the film
1: Hi, Northland family. I'm Kelly Lewis. Um, I'm a Northlander. I've been going to Northland for a couple of years now. And um, I'm also part of the leadership team in one-to-one hope ministry, or human trafficking, anti-human trafficking ministry. We've been affected by Hurricane Ian. And as you can see from my surroundings, uh, we lost everything in the house and the disaster is unthinkable. And just wanted to take a moment to share uh, with you my story. So Thursday morning, I woke up at five in the morning and looked outside my window to find a rapid river going down my driveway. I woke my husband up and we came to find that we were being totally overwhelmed with water. Water coming in the sides, water in the front. It started creeping up. It came to our ankles. And all I could see was water around me. I just had to let it go. And we were rescued in an airboat out of our front window. We didn't come back to the house until five days later is when the water started to recede what was awaiting inside was more than I had ever seen in my life so the night before we live in Florida and if you listen to the news they tell you to gather water I took an open bucket of water I took it to my bathtub filled it with water Um, in the the craziness of the morning around 10 a.m We went into the bathroom and the water, sewer water was coming out of the bathtub, up through the bathtub and the toilets and this open white bucket of water was floating in dirt. And my husband said, it's floating in dirty water. Should I just toss it? And I said, no, don't toss it. It's clean water. And he put it on the toilet. I said, no, no, just put it on the sink. And so he put it even higher on the sink. And so we left it there, we evacuated. And um, when my husband came in the first time through the canoe, he was looking through the house and was walking through the rubble still in a foot and a half of water. And he walked into our laundry room, which is towards the front of the house. And the bucket was sitting in my laundry room. Settled, just floating, just about to land. Completely clean water. In the midst of chaos, in the midst of the disaster, I had dressers toppled. I had my refrigerator lying down on its side. I had nightstands from the room in the kitchen. I had bathroom items in, in you know other rooms. Mattresses turned over, um, tables turned over, chairs toppled. Everything was destroyed, yet this bucket of water was intact. When I saw that, I said, that's, that's holy water. No matter what challenges come our way, He's got me. He's surrounded me by love, by church, by family. He's, he's showed me his blessings in so many ways. And people will see this and say, how can you be blessed? You just lost everything. But I've gained the knowledge that I have way more better things than material things. I have friends. I have family. I have coworkers that love me. They care about me and that are willing to take time out
0: of their schedule to come help me. Thank you. You know, Kelly's story represents how every person, regardless of situation, whether chaos, crisis, or calm, they have holistic needs. And in her story, you can see how Her holistic needs had been met in a host of ways. I mean, having met with them, because we had took a team over there a couple of weeks ago, we we knew that the insurance company would meet their housing needs, that they would be able to replace their stuff. But then to, to see the people over there meeting their emotional and communal need, the bucket of clean water, you saw the bucket there. They had not emptied that water. That, that provided her spiritual need, that God used that bucket of water to say, I, I'm with you, everything will be okay. You see, the, the, the nature of generosity, yeah. The nature of generosity seeks to love the whole person. Now, come in for this statement because th- th- this is challenging me right here. Could it be the reason why people have trouble being holistically generous is because they are holistically impoverished? Could it be that the reason why people today, even people in the church, have a difficult time being holistically generous is because they're holistically impoverished. They just don't have the time. They've maxed out their time. There's no margin left to even give their time. They're not even taking the time to be aware of other people's needs. What's your spouse's need? What's your children's, what are their needs? What your coworkers need? What's your church's need? You have, have you paused long enough to say, what are, the, what are the unaware needs that some people might not know that they need, but that I can meet? You don't have the financial margin. You don't have the experience, the knowledge, or the understanding To lend a helping hand to someone to help them live a full and fulfilled life. Maybe, maybe you're scared or timid about sharing truth that will enhance a person's life. Or maybe love. You, you cannot give love because you have struggled with loving yourself, maybe for a very long time. And so you are holistically impoverished, which prohibits you from being holistically generous. You cannot, we cannot provide what we don't have. And so Northland, we want to be a church that provides Holistically. We want to love the entire person well. And so therefore, we want to provide for the basic needs of people. Do you realize that in our benevolence fund, we give at least $70,000 a year away just to benevolent situations? We have Stevens ministry that has ministers that's willing to walk alongside of people in their most darkest hour. We have ministers on duty. Every day of the week, we have at least one minister on duty that's well, that, that is ready to receive someone, to pray with them, to be a support mechanism, to be just a listening ear. We have small groups where community is forged. And did you know that Northland and all of our entities, we collectively provide over a hundred jobs between everything. And then we want to provide for the needs around us. Uh, that's the reason why we, we send out serve teams that go around our community. We have our access ministry, which hosts Boost and Faith Ability, which serves our special needs community and their families. We have organizations like the CAC, the Community Arts Connection, that ministers and serves adults with special needs. We have Life Hope Child Care that serves single moms who have child care and other needs. And we even have Northland Women that come alongside of them and act as mentors. We have one-to-one hope that serves women who have been caught in sex trafficking. I I learned this just a couple of weeks ago that we have a community service program where we've partnered with Longwood where they send anywhere from seven to 20 people a month who need community service hours. We have our co-op childcare program which meets educational needs. So we wanna provide for the needs around us. But also we wanna provide spiritual accountability to becoming a holistically healthy person, which is why I take my job extremely seriously. And I preach my little heart out every weekend, weekend and week out. Why? Because we want you to know what the Bible says about what it means to follow Jesus. And here's the thing. I expect lost people to act lost. I expect the world to act contrary to Jesus. And when it comes to the church, though, I expect you to have a higher standard of how you live. And so you, you just can't, here's the thing, you just can't be any kind of husband that you want to be, any kind of mother you want to be, any kind of wife you want to be, any kind of father you want to be. You just don't get, it's kind of like, it reminds me of Ricky Bobby. You, you know, well, I still with all due respect. I mean, it's like, what? come on now. Like, here's the thing. When it comes to acting like Jesus, there is a standard for believers. And so part of the generous nat- nature of our teaching ministry is to tell you what Jesus says. We want to be generously holistic in everything we do. And then the last, last thing we see here in Genesis one and two is that God's love is seen in him blessing. God's love is seen in him blessing. So verse 22, chapter 1, God blessed the creatures in the water and the birds and said, verse 28, God blessed mankind and said, and then chapter 2, verse 2, then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. In general, the idea of God's blessing invokes God's divine favor on something. More specifically, as it relates to human beings, God's blessing is the promise of his relational presence, power, and protection on them that they might become all God has designed and desired them to become. Did you know that the opposite of blessing is cursing? And cursing is the removal of God's divine favor. So his divine presence, power, and protection. So if God blesses human beings, he's pouring out his presence, his power, his protection on them. Here's the principle that we see. What you love, you shower with blessing. What you love, you shower with blessing. Let me let me show you a thing that I do not shower with blessing. It's in my backyard. This is a tree that I do not shower with blessing. And Joni will agree with this because I, I do not water it. You say, why, why do you need to water this tree? Well, a couple weeks ago, we found out that we had a leak in our sprinkler system. The guy comes over. He's like, I got to dig out the, your tree. I'm like, all right, dig it out. And then he's like, I'm going to replant it, but you got to take care of it to make sure the roots get you know kind of grow deep again and it can be a healthy tree. Well, he's done it and I haven't touched the tree since he put it back in the ground. I just don't love the tree. It's just not something it's not, it's not something I'm thinking about. You're like, well, you ought to love your property. I understand. Hey, if you want to help me, you want to be generous towards me, and you want to come water my tree for me, be my guest. I'll give you my address. And you can come every day, and you can water my tree. But let me tell you, let me tell you the trees that I, that I am wanting to bless. Here's the trees that I want to bless. I want to bless my family. Why? Wow. I love my family. I want to shower them with blessing. I want to pour out my presence. I want to pour out my power. I want to pour out my protection on them. Why? You love what you love, who you love you shower with blessing and so here's the thing god he looks at humanity and he says i love you i want to shower you with my blessing i want to pour out my presence i want to pour out my protection i want to pour out my power Why? i love you and so ways that we can bless we can be present we can fill the void if there's a void in someone's life they don't have anybody fill it with your presence We can speak a kind word of encouragement. We can write a card telling someone we're thinking about them. We can show hospitality by sharing a meal with someone. We can take a neighbor, a dessert. We can lend a helping hand. We can protect the vulnerable, the poor, the marginalized, the exploited. We can give voice to the voiceless. We can pray for the Lord's presence, power, and protection to come on people's lives. So as you're getting ready for your day, pray for your children. As you get in the car and you drive out of your subdivision, pray. Pray for your neighbors as you're on the road, and somebody honks at you and gives you a California howdy. You can give them a blessing from God. Now, you, so you don't pay, you know, the California howdy with the California howdy. Do you know what the California howdy is? Okay, Beverly Hill, anyways, all right, so I ain't got time for that. But, but you, you can pray blessing on them. When you're at your work and, you are, and, and you're sitting there waiting for your meeting to start, you can start praying blessing over your coworkers. When you run across someone on the street with a sign that says homeless, you can pray blessing over them that God would meet their needs according to his riches in glory. When you come upon someone's social media post. And they, and they seem to be frustrated, or they seem to be hurt or in pain, uh, you can pray a blessing on them. Hey, hey, Northland, we want to be a church that blesses people. We want to be a loving conduit by which God pours out his presence, his power, and his protection on people. And here's my last two questions, and then I'm done. Who do you love? Who do you love? What do you love? Be- because whatever you love, your generosity is going to be directed towards who you love. What you love. Now go back to John 3.16. For God so loved the world. And what we see in John 3.16 is God so loved the world that he shared with us his very best gift. God so loved the world that he provided an adequate, satisfying sacrifice and atonement for our sin. And think God so loved the world that he gave Jesus who is the incarnate presence of God that before he goes back he tells I will give you my spirit and now because of Jesus because God gifted us Jesus he has now showered us with blessing his presence his power his protection through his spirit so God so loved and therefore because he loved he became generous who do you love and what do you love because Because whoever it is, whatever it is, will have the reception of your and my generosity. Let's pray. Father, may we be generous people. May we be generous people. And may people be the beneficiaries of your generosity through us because it is your nature that is producing generosity in us. So I pray for Northland. Spirit, we cannot be generous without you empowering us. We cannot love who we need to love without you empowering us. So Spirit, we need you. Fill us that we might be generous. For it's in your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Will you stand with us as we sing?